Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Podglomerate. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or was just too hard to ask your partner, welcome to the Sex Wrap. Welcome back to the Sex Wrap, everybody. You're here with Spring and Andrew, two PhDs in sexuality who just really like talking about sex. With anybody at any time at any place, unless I'm in a locker room or just trying to have a good time and you're trying to show me the sore on your body, I don't want to see it then. I'm not a medical doctor. Don't show me your sores, but I'll talk to you about them, but not at a party. (laughs) And... What speaking of parties, what did you get up to this weekend? You just had some birthday celebrations, I think. I did. I had a lot of fun, but I want to talk about something that happened yesterday. So um <laughs> I I love going out. And it doesn't matter to me what kind. You can ask Spring, like, you Andrew, would you like to? And I'm like, yes, please. Um, I like to dance, <laughs> I like concerts, I like band, I like orchestra, I like everything. Um, I like shows, I like the ocean, I like bars, I like rest, like I just I like I enjoy life. Like I want to go out and do fun things. Um, So I bought uh, at the end of COVID, not really, but you know, COVID's still going. Sorry, everyone. We don't talk about it anymore. Like get your, get, get yourself your vaccine. But um, so I started buying tickets to things again. um, And I was really excited because there was a, a Prokofiev concert where they were going to be playing. I'm sorry. What did you say? Uh, Prokofiev, he's a Russian. Ba- uh, he wrote a bunch of music that people dance to. Thank um, you. Thank yeah, you. there you go. Uh, <laughs> and it was supposed to be his Romeo and Juliet and his Cinderella. And I was like, oh, this is great. Now, Wait, you those, all know these that- are songs that he wrote about those people? No, th- these were ballets. We need more information here. <laughs> so there's a ballet about Romeo and Juliet. Um, you, you, you've heard songs from it before. And then there's a, another ballet he wrote for Cinderella. Um, okay. And I Break get this down for us like we've never heard of ballet. Thank you. I, I got there and um, there's a piano in one chair on the stage. I'm like, what did you do, Andrew? So um, it was a tuba and a grand piano playing ballets. Um, now, not what I wanted. I don't know if I would go there again. It was beautifully done. But I was sitting there watching this tubist like like his mouth was going wild, like super staccato glissandos up and down scales into that tuba. Like I can't describe it. Like what is happening? And then it made me think about like, I wonder if he's kissing people, if he does that as well. And then my brain wandered to some other topics, but I don't normally have a lot of sexual thoughts. Like when I'm at an orchestra or recital or concert or show or anything, but um, it was pretty funny, but tuba piano, Weird combo. Um, if anyone from here is listening, um, great job. Really good. N- not what I wanted. And um, it wasn't false advertising. I just purchased tickets without reading the fine print. And I got to watch <laughs> crazy, crazy tuba mouthpiece 
um, and Grand Piano play Prokofiev. So if you don't know who Prokofiev is, um, maybe we'll put a link to uh, one of his songs in... Not related. No, we're not, not going to do that. Just kidding. Okay. Right. So <laughs> I'm like, where are we right now? What, what are we talking about today besides tuba mouths? <laughs> So, tuba mouth, um, which would also be a solution to today's question. Um, and today's question is sort of a mix of a whole bunch of questions we've had over the years. Um, but I, I, I'm titling today Clitoral Mythology. But the question is, like, people pretty frequently say, like, where's the clit? Or I don't know how to find the clitoris. Or how can I find the clit? Or, like, that whole bevy of questions. Um and, and when I hear them, I have a pretty visceral response. Um, when, I, when I was talking with Spring about this, when we were looking through the list of questions, she's like, I don't understand what's going on. Um, when I hear this question, though, it's this whole cascade of other things that sort of pop up that I find problematic. Um, so clitoral mythology. So uh, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think, Spring? Well, when you say clitoral mythology to me, I, I don't understand because uh, the clitoris is real. <laughs> Uh, there's no debate about that. <laughs> uh, it's pretty easy to find. Uh, so, incorrect. So- Clitoral <laughs> mythology. Wait, that, and that's what I'm talking about. Like, you hear really consistent, like, oh, where is it? Oh, it's so mysterious. Oh, I can't find it. Oh, and, and it pops up. It's in music. It's on television shows. There's entire movies about finding the clitoris. All right. So all y'all know that I'm gay, right? I've dated women in the past. I had zero problems ever finding a clitoris on any sexual partner, like super duper easy, the easiest, the simplest, not a problem. There's no mythology here, except people, people say it, it is. So, hey, Spring, where, where is the clitoris? Do you want to describe to our listeners how to find it in case they had that question? So if you're, if a woman is lying on her back, and you're looking at the vulva, which is the outer portion of the vagina, up at the top center is where the clitoris is going to be. Um, And if a woman's excited, you can probably see it. And it looks like, there's a lot of different ways to describe it. I think it kind of looks like the tip of your pinky finger. That's what I would say. But it's like a little um, small, um, it can be erect, so it can look like a very small little penis, right? Kind of sticking out if the woman's excited. If it's not excited, it might be under the clitoral hood, which is just this little um, piece of skin that like comes down over it and protects it to so that the nerve endings that the clitoris has, which is a lot, are not constantly being uh, stimulated by clothing or um, legs or whatever else might come in contact with it. But yeah, just right there up at the top when you're looking in between the legs. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of variety, like when we look at the clitoris as well. Some of some women almost never appears or doesn't appear. It's really, really small and it's up under the hood. That does not mean it is not sensitive, right? It doesn't matter how big or small a clitoris is. It has essentially the same number of nerve endings, the same number of nerve endings as a whole penis, right? Like, so it, it, it's not hard. It just drives me crazy. But the reason it drives me crazy, right? Like Spring did a great description. It's at the top. You might have to pull things apart. You might have to look. You might have to talk 
to the person you're with. Like, is this it? Did I find it? Is it here? But you can see it. You can feel it. You can touch it. It's not hard to find. It's just not hard. And, you know, talking about like the hood covering it. Also, you don't always need to move the hood out of the way. You can actually stimulate it by rubbing on the hood, which is actually then stimulating. And a lot of people like that because it's a little less direct and that might feel really good, especially um, warming up the clitoris. So, so it's like, yeah, just, you just have to know the general area really, and just start rubbing around. It's it's like very easy. Right. It is not inside the vagina, right? It is not on the inside. It's on the outside at the very top. Um, I don't know. It's super easy to find. All right. But on to why it makes me upset. Like, first of all, there's problems in sexual education. Like if I was teaching sixth grade sex ed, I'd be like, hey, everybody, this is a vulva and this is the clitoris. You know where it is. All right. Draw a little boat. Circle the top of the boat. Oh, look, you found the like there's a million easy ways to describe it. But the way when it normally pops up in conversation and what gets me all bent out of shape um, is that It's this weird kind of societal ignorance that it's okay for you to not know where it is or to not care where it is or to not try to find it. And in that process, you sort of leave women's pleasure out of a lot of sexual interactions. Um, And we're talking today, you know, pretty heavily about like heterosexual people having sex. Um, But that's where it normally pops up. And we do need to take a short break. Now that you know where the clitoris is, we're going to talk about, <laughs> no, we'll talk about what to do when you find it. No, we're talking, we're, ta- we're going to talk about some of the bigger issues with the, what I call clitoral mythology. Be right back. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Spring. You told us where the clitoris is. All of our listeners now know. Not hard to find. A lot of fun to play with, right? (laughs) But um, this clitoris mythology for me is almost like a pathology where where society has allowed men to focus almost solely on their own pleasure. Um, Most of the time when you hear this, it's about like a guy gets off and doesn't care about what happens to the girl. Does she get to have an orgasm? It doesn't matter. I got off. I get to roll over and go to sleep and she just gets to be sexually frustrated or not sexually fulfilled. And that's what really bothers me. Yeah. So what Andrew's talking about is what we call sometimes sexual scripts, which is kind of like the way things might traditionally run and traditionally meaning like through a habit or through um, just kind of getting used to that. And so sexual scripts um, exist like within a specific relationship, like you and your partner might have a very specific sexual script. Like we're talking about heterosexual in this instance. So for example, a sexual script might be like uh, the woman is giving the penis owner a blowjob at the beginning to get him excited, to get him ready for some um, intercourse, right? Like that could be part of someone's sexual script. And so when we're thinking about this heterosexual sexual script in our society, it often ends with the male orgasming and ejaculating wherever he ejaculates. The end. <laughs> and then there 
there is no other activity after that. There's no other um, room for more engagement because uh, for some reason, the sexual script um, has emerged that means this is the end of sexy time. Um, And that's what a lot of people have been conditioned to kind of believe. And so this is what we're talking about as the this problem here. It's the sexual script that has been so normalized that like it's okay because it's so normal that that's just how it is. Like sex ends when the male orgasms. I mean, and when I, when it comes up, so much of it is about pretending that women's sexuality is really like mysterious or that women and sex and orgasms are too hard to figure out or it's too difficult or it takes too much time. Um, and it, none of those things are true, right? Women's sexuality and men's sexuality are really similar most of the time. And with your, when you're with people, everybody wants to feel good during that process. And, and right, some people might not want to orgasm every single time, but if it's never on the table or if it's always too much work or if that clitoris is just too hard to find, I mean, it, it just like, I don't understand why someone would want to stay inside of that sexual script. Um, you know, like, as a person who identifies as a gay man, well, gay male scripts are, are very different than that most of the time, like where pleasure of all parties is is much more important. Um, and to watch well, people what, in religion. Sorry, go what, ahead. What you're talking about, though, is, I mean, is sexism, which is also we see the same thing in racism. We see all over our culture is that the people in power want to stay in power. So if males are enjoying this ability to orgasm and then be done, why why do we want to change that script, right? If they're having this uh, ability to get away with that, then there's what's the desire to change. <laughs> so I think you saying like, you don't understand that. I mean, that's like, that's, yeah, of course they don't want to change that. That's like, benefiting them. So why would they want to change that? I mean, just getting into the headspace of somebody who doesn't care about their partner's pleasure. Like, like but, I say but, dump them but, a lot. But that's not, that isn't in the sexual script because it's, because it's allowed in the sexual script. That means that they are not being labeled as somebody who doesn't care about their partner when they do that. They're being labeled as normal. Well, right. And I mean, and that's why at the end of the day, when people say, like, I can't find the clitoris or the clitoris is hard to find, I have this really visceral negative response. Like, no, you're just freaking lazy. And like that sexual script, we just need to break it down. We need to like break it down and get rid of it. Um, And unfortunately, it exists everywhere. Like, it's just omnipresent. It's, it's, it's in, I mean, you can't almost can't get away from it unless you're listening to our show and you start attacking it (laughs) today. Um, and I think that's probably what we should talk about, you know, a little bit before we, we close out our episode. I'm just over here with like my hands over my head, angry this whole time. (laughs) Um, I don't know, like feigning ignorance or pretending women's pleasure isn't worth it or being okay, knowing that your partner is only slightly fulfilled. Um, I have dump him written all over the place on my little (laughs) post-it notes on my desk right now. Uh, But yeah, go ahead, Sverg. I mean, so one thing that we're really talking about also is is communication during sex, which is our number one answer to all questions on the show is uh, communicating about it. And so... Part of this is a breakdown in communication where um, the male counterpart might not be asking um, if 
if the female orgasmed, if they want to orgasm, if they, if there's some other thing that they might like to engage in, um, what, how do we like centralize their pleasure a little more? And it's a breakdown in the other part too, because a lot of times women are taught not to prioritize their own pleasure. They're taught that the goal is uh, getting this ejaculate out of the man and then they win if they were able to make him ejaculate as if it was some contest that they're trying to like get this prize out of, right? And so it's also women needing to say like, this is what I like. I want to do this. Can we also do this? Can we do this after you ejaculate? You know, like it's, so it's, it's both sides really needing to say, okay, what do I want out of the sexual interaction? And then how do I communicate about that with my partner? And so, and I, I don't want to blame men for this, um, because it, and also, of course, I want to blame them, but I'm going to say that, you know, it's, it's so much part of our culture that it is, um, it's this normal thing and it's a script. And so like, in some ways you're saying like, yeah, you're going along with the norm. And so it's challenging to say, step up, make a change, do something different. Um, and so I think it's everybody's job to, to communicate like that during sex. And, and, you know, we're always talking about when to do this and the time is not, um, right after he's ejaculated and then like start yelling at him, like, why didn't you do this or whatever the time, um, to talk about these things is in a neutral, not super sex charged time. And to talk about, you know, how you might like these interactions to go, what things you might like to change about the script, whether it's society's script or whether your, um, situation script that you've um, established or fell into over the course of a relationship with a sexual partner. And, um, and of course, these things can always change, but they take work. They take work on an individual level, on a relationship level, and on a broader um, discussion about these issues level, societal. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with everything Spring's saying about these scripts. I mean, I think all sexual relationships would be better if we got rid of the societal scripts and then formed them based on based on our needs and our partner's needs and making sure, or multiple partners, if that's if that's really your, like whatever you're into, like making sure that you've worked with those people to come up with a script that works, that makes sure that everybody's needs are fulfilled. Um, yeah. So Spring thought I was only mad at men. I am also upset with women because so frequently they'll talk to me. I'm sure they talk to Spring about like, oh, I really want or I, I want to have orgasms or I want him to go down on me or I want sexual pleasure. But you know who they're not telling that? They're not telling their sexual partners because their sexual scripts are supposed to make them like, you know, be innocent or be the good girl or, you know, like be all about their partner's pleasure instead of focusing on theirs. Um, so like, I'm frustrated with everybody on both sides of this issue um, because if you're not worried about your own pleasure and somebody else's, if you're not being reciprocal inside of these relationships, you're not going to be as fulfilled or you're going to leave someone else unfulfilled. And that's the thing that terrifies me. Like I would hate to have sex with somebody and at the other side of it, like I felt good and they didn't like, okay. Got to move away. Okay. I have a, I have a pet peeve I like to bring up. <laughs> I know a lot of um, 
male identifying people who love to say that they only get off on making their female partners happy. And they, they just love to pleasure their female partners. Um, but a lot of them seem to assume what makes their female partners happy or do what maybe made their first female partner happy and then do that forever after. Uh, and so they have, the, they have the technique down, right? They, they have the technique. Yeah. So they yeah. have, there's this idea that um, they really want that. And that I, I hear people say that so often, like, Oh, that's the only, that's the only thing, goal I have. Um, and I think that what gets lost in translation is um, that they're not actually often communicating with their current female partners about that and then um, incorporating things that their current female partners um, would prefer and actually would enjoy. And so, you know, there is this idea that sometimes people are like, oh yeah, I'm prioritizing her pleasure, but but not talking to her about it. And so maybe you, you probably aren't. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, um, just goes back to this communication thing. And so sometimes we have people that think they're kind of like bucking this trend, but without this like really, really uh, good communication with a partner, you're not, you're just, you're actually contributing to the problem, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's bad communication on both sides because while men think they're doing it, if they're not talking about it at the same time, if women aren't actually talking about what they need or if it was good or not, I mean, if you have mediocre sex, you'd be like, uh, eh, it was okay. And like, then talk about how it could get better or talk about your needs. Um, so society makes this communication difficult for people because our whole lives, men are trained to focus on their pleasure first and then not talk about, you know, other people's needs. And then women are taught to only focus on other people's needs and not talk about their own. And you mash these two together and you end up with a world where it's okay to pretend that you don't know where the clitoris is or not care where it is or not care what's happening with your partner or not care to actually tell your partner what you need. Um, so in the future, when you hear somebody make the kind of joke about, you know, the clitoris being hard to find, you lay down the Spring and Andrews smackdown. Like, <laughs> no, that is not a sexual script that we're going to follow anymore. Um, also, like the Internet, like you have access to it. <laughs> Finding the clitoris is the easiest it's ever been in all of human, all of human history. You have a if computer you can in find your an address on Google Maps, you can find the clitoris. Like if you have the ability to look up something on your phone, which I know you do. Then... Because you're listening to us right now. <laughs> Don't put up with clitoral mythology, everybody. It, I came up with the term. I don't think it exists anywhere on the internet. So I think I, I made up this one. Um, but it's true. We need, to, we need to break this down. We need to have better sexual scripts. And uh, we need to, you know, have, have reciprocity. Like, you get off, the other person gets off. Um, I just want to add one other important thing. There are lots of times and places, especially if you have, you know, a sexual partner you've been with for a while, where you're not going to get off or they're not going to get off. And you sort of make that known at the beginning, but you want them to get off. Like you want the other person to go. That's fine. We're not talking about those cases where like, you know what? I had a long day and I know you're horny and I'm not really feeling it, but I want you to get off today. So you just do you and I'm, I'll be, I'll be with you and I'll we'll have fun, but don't worry about me. Like, that's fine. That's one thing. We're not talking about that instance. We're talking about 
all of the other times when that conversation doesn't happen because that's good communication, right? Because no one's going to get off every single time. No one's going to have the best sex every single time. And that's okay. The problem is, you know, using ignorance to focus on your own pleasure and not someone else's and not saying anything about it. All right, I'm done. Anything, Spring? Sorry, that was my tip in the whole episode. It just hands in the air. All right. Yeah, well, you know, um, I think a conversation that might be really nice to have with a partner, which actually makes this feel maybe a little safer to do also, could be um, what with past sexual partners have you not liked? And what with past sexual partners have you liked so that you can talk about um, things that might feel scarier to talk about with your current partner. And you can um, talk about things that have worked or not worked in the past, um, things that you would like to change from past sexual scripts. Um, I've had a partner do that with me where they talked about some things they didn't like in a past relationship sexual script. And it was really helpful to um, understand those things and hear those things from them because then I could really understand what would work for them and what they would like. And so I think that also feels really safe because it feels like it doesn't feel like a criticism um, of, of your current partner in any way when you're able to talk about these past experiences. So I, I would like to throw that out as a suggestion for like how to get into this conversation in maybe a safer way with your partner if it feels scary to you. Yeah. Um, and if your partner can't handle you talking about your exes, have them listen to our episode from uh, last week. Uh, <laughs> I can't handle my partner's exes. Um, no, I think that's great. Um, you know, no one starts out great at sex. No one starts great. No one starts out great at anything, right? We get better from our experiences. We're supposed to learn from mistakes, and we're supposed to learn from previous relationships, and and like take good lessons with us about what we need and how we can help other people's needs. And I mean, I love that. Uh, suggestion. And I hope that uh, our listeners are in places where or in relationships where they can have that kind of really honest conversation, like take the best parts of that relationship with you, and then take the worst parts and make them like positive learning experiences. I, I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're done uh, with this clitoral mythology. Like we're, we're putting it away for good. I kind um, of want to fake an orgasm right now. Like you said, we're done. And I, I almost just started screaming, oh. but I was, I was afraid you would hit me with your eye glare. <laughs> eye glare. Um, if you have any questions about this episode or any other questions about sex, sexual health, relationships, Spring and I would love to chat with you about any of it. Um, you can send us an email. We are the sexwrap at gmail.com. You can call us at 413-I-Rapid. And then you should definitely check out our social media. We're posting lots of questions about episodes and interacting with our listeners there every single day. Um, we are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, but mostly Instagram at the sexwrap. That's wrap with a W. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good day. Bye. For everything that you were too afraid to ask at home, too embarrassed to ask at school, or just two of music for this episode provided by the ever elusive and mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.